Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Here's the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times. There have been a number of murders. This story is about a 13-year-old boy who took six shots to protect a little girl. This is big news in this city. And like almost everything else in Chicago, politics is at the middle of it. Correspondent Mike Tobin tonight with a story from the increasingly mean streets of the Windy City. A hot summer night on Chicago's south side. Another young man lies on the ground with bullet wounds. We have a guy shot both legs, both low, both like ankle shot. More than 1,200 people have been shot in Chicago this year. Newtown is a beautiful community. It's sort of like a hidden gem here, nestled in between Litchfield Hills and the Gold Coast. We are a quick hour and 15 minutes to New York City, and you can't beat it. And if you don't want to drive, there's easy access to trains and buses as well to go to Boston or New York. You manage to have the the combination of a small-town flavor and yet accessibility to so many different things. It feels like a small town, and that's what I love about it. Newtown Schools is one of these places that uh, the, the child is all important. They have such a culture here of, you know, what is in the best interest of kids. The teachers are fantastic, so responsive. Our clubs and activities are really a, a good part of what helps us develop the, the whole child. We've had awards for our music program, it's probably one of the best in the state. I think the education system is very good and fulfilling for the kids. 
they go to good schools, learn a tremendous amount, and seem to have a wonderful social aspect to it also. The Youth Academy that has programs after school for kids, Friday evenings for kids. Newtown is family friendly. It's a great place to raise kids. Right here in Newtown, Connecticut. The site today of a mass shooting and this time gunfire aimed at elementary school children. We're here in front of the Newtown United Methodist Church where we've watched people gathering all evening long as tonight the details are still pouring in. There are 27 victims, 20 children, 7 adults. And we've heard all day about the incredible response by teachers inside the school which is considered one of the leading schools in the nation. And also tonight we have a new image of the suspected shooter as we tell you everything we know about who did it, what kind of weapons, and why. And we begin all of this with 2020 anchor Chris Cuomo, and he's here right now with me, Chris. Diane, it is an almost um, unimaginable scene. What we know so far is that inside this elementary school was a group of young kids. They were and there was one deranged man who decided to take it all away. This morning, the Sandy Hook Elementary School was full of kids concerned about Christmas. And then, at 9.40 a.m., shots rang out. The individual I have on the phone is continuing to hear what he believes to be gunfire. I heard that children were taken out bloody. I'm very scared, worried about my son, worried about the other kids that I know here. It was terrifying. It's, it's, I'm still terrified. I think I'm still in shock about it all. I still don't know everything that happened. A situation that couldn't be any more terrifying. Kids at the mercy of a deranged gunman. And yet, it keeps getting worse. Okay, these units in the pool, I got uh, bodies here. Among the dead, 20-year-old gunman Adam Lanza and his mother, who was a teacher's aide at the elementary school. He came with a bulletproof vest and four guns, including two semi-automatic handguns and possibly an assault rifle, say authorities. He killed so many of the kids she loved. It's a very, very difficult scene for the family members, for all the responding first responders. It's a tragedy. It's a tragic scene. And yet many more survived. You know, all these survivors, they're so young, and that makes it so tragic. And yet at the same time, the families are hoping they're young enough, Diane, that they'll be able to forget and move on with their lives. So tell us now the latest details, whatever we've learned about why and motives of the suspected shooter. It is always so important to us because that's the one thing we can learn in this situation is what drove this person to this horrible thing. And yet now it's getting more confusing. Authorities now believe that the gunman's mother was found killed in her home not at the school. So the question remains now larger than ever. Why did this man go to this school? Why did he attack these kids with such intensity? Uh, as we drove into town, I know you saw those beautiful hills coming into this incredibly wonderful town. And tonight we see the flags at half staff right here in Newtown and across the country. The flags are also at half staff as today President Obama addressed the nation cheering up as he talked about the grieving parents and their small children. The majority of those who died today were children. Uh, beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. Peckham, they plan a different march this November. 
a march to the voting booth to make their voices heard. Stand up for your rights. Speak up. Don't just sit on the sidelines and let somebody else do it for you. Maybe they ought to start listening to the NRA because we have a lot to say as NRA women about how to handle firearms safely. We have a lot to say about education. We have a lot to say about what works and what doesn't work. Gun owners of America, get involved before it's too late. Protect your rights! We have had enough. Enough of the NRA and their tactics. That most mindless of sports cliches was heard yet again. Something like this really puts it all in perspective. Well, if so, that sort of perspective has a very short shelf life, since we will inevitably hear about the perspective we have supposedly again regained the next time ugly reality intrudes upon our games. Please, those who need tragedies to continually recalibrate their sense of proportion about sports would seem to have little hope of ever truly achieving perspective. You want some actual perspective on this? Well, a bit of it comes from the Kansas City-based writer Jason Whitlock, with whom I do not always agree, but who today said it so well that we may as well just quote or paraphrase from the end of his article. Our current gun culture, Whitlock wrote, ensures that more and more domestic disputes will end in the ultimate tragedy, and that more convenience store confrontations over loud music coming from a car will leave more teenage boys bloodied and dead. Handguns do not enhance our safety. They exacerbate our flaws, tempt us to escalate arguments, and bait us into embracing confrontation rather than avoiding it. In the coming days, Javon Belcher's actions and their possible connection to football will be analyzed. Who knows? But here, wrote Jason Whitlock, is what I believe. If Javon Belcher didn't possess a gun, he and Cassandra Perkins would both be alive today. Good evening, and thank you for being with us. This is our common ground, speaking truth to power, and ourselves transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for joining us tonight. In the first segment, we'll be revisiting and reviewing the tragic events in Newton, Connecticut, guns, madness, and hypocrisy in America. And then... Makani Themba Nixon, building effective communities and changing the power dynamics for community empowerment. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. Yeah, but the people know, the people know it's winter. Winter in America. in America Thank you for being with us tonight. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. And in this broadcast tonight, we're going to take some moments to extend our heartfelt sympathies to the families, children, victims, and all the other witnesses of a community impacted by the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut on yesterday morning. We will also remember 
all of the families and children who have had tragedy visit upon them because of guns in America. We will also remember and recall the number of children and families destroyed, extended out of our borders because of America's preoccupation with dominance. We want to think about the families of children, our children, who have died on the streets of America because somehow we have this preoccupation with guns as a tool of dominance, oppression, greed, and superiority. Our hearts do go out to these families. It's been a tough, another tough two days in America. America's obsession with guns has played out another dark game once more. We, family, are eating our young because so many believe that America is a gunfighter nation. For them, the right to bear arms trumps any reasonable legislation about restricting access to certain types of firearms and about removing those firearms from our streets and our neighborhoods. And this most recent mass shooting, which will likely account for the worst single incident of gun violence in recent American history, is not going to cause a rethinking of our country's love affair with these weapons. Nor will this mass murder of 20 children and seven adults by a man named Adam Lanza, who grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, one of the most affluent communities in this country, this mass murder will not weaken the NRA's hold on our legislators and thus our tax dollars. The NRA and their clan will retreat back to a default position and rhetorical redoubt where they will say guns don't kill people, only people do. That is their retort. These same ideologues who in the 21st century remain some type of throwback pre-modern tribesmen at the early dawn of human history are utterly devoted to a fetish object of metal and plastic which they worship as a god. For them, the mass shooting of children in Newton, Connecticut, and Chicago, and Oakland, and Miami, and New York, and Brooklyn, and Boston will be a funeral pyre whose light they will read as spirits dancing in the shadows, beckoning them that more guns equals less crime and that school teachers 
and mothers and perhaps even children should be allowed to carry firearms in our schools. Magical thinking thinking brings public policy solutions that are not grounded in common sense or empirical reality. As the details of this particular murderous rampage trickles out, all of the standard talking points by the media will be hit upon. Was Adam Lanza mentally ill? What type of weapons did he really have, and where did he get them? Why did his mother have automatic weapons in her home? Were there warning signs? Acts of heroism by the adults and children in the school will be profiled. The first responders will be praised and profiled. People will cry. The pundits will tear up, tear up. Uh, in an effort to show some personal human connection to a story that will feed news cycles for many days to come and will potentially make a career or two for some upstart journalist or TV personality who dare to stick a microphone and a camera in the face of a seven-year-old who had just witnessed mass murder. And, keep in mind, her mother sat by. Even tonight, as this nation mourns, unlike any natural mourning that we have done for the children in Chicago, Oakland, Houston, Miami, Boston, Brooklyn, who were gunned down by police, who provided murder in our community via lawful authority. We must realize that we can't save those who died on yesterday or those thousands who have died since January 2011, as we discussed under the report issued by the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement some two months ago. But the children in our community and the children of Newtown, Connecticut, and Miami, and Boston, and Brooklyn, and Oakland, we can save and they will only be protected if we take some bold action and modify our destructive gun laws. And that we do not shroud this discussion, picking pieces, whether it's gun control or gun safety. If we fail to act in our own community now, the bloodshed will only continue. Our gun laws are illusional. They are destructive. But there are other issues. Criminals and people with mental health issues, including rogue cops, are destructive. Unregistered guns should be taken off the street. Psycho cops 
should be screened and eliminated. But it seems that your government doesn't seem to see their way to this. A tearful president came before us on yesterday and offered no solutions and bowed out by telling us today or yesterday was not the day to discuss how we stop this madness. Thank you for being with us tonight. This is our common ground. Our guest, Makani Temba Nixon, is going to be joining us later on in this broadcast. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to revisit all of the things at this weekly town meeting that we have been talking about for five years on the Internet. And I have been talking about for 25 years or more as a broadcaster. Makani Temba is Executive Director of the Praxis Project, and she's going to be joining us, talking with us about building healthy communities and changing the power schemes. But we cannot escape our mission uh, tonight in talking about where we are as a nation because the chickens indeed have come home to roost and there is winter in America. Up until 10.30, we'll take your calls on gun madness, the deteriorating ability of this country to protect its normal citizens from gun violence and to provide a safety net for those who would misuse the guns. You see, because you can buy a gun in America as easily as buying a wad of bubble gum. And we have folks who are so mired into capitalism and greed who would sell guns on the street to gang members and to teenagers in our urban areas. Guns are traded as though they were baseball cards in the streets and in our neighborhoods. And we wait each time for a dead, cold body to have a discussion, to look at these issues. Two months ago, we met with <coughs> Kali Akuno, if you will recall. Two hours we talked about the deaths of black boys and girls. And we have done nothing. Spitting in the wind. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to join us for a discussion. And we do pause. Uh, if you're in our chat room at blogtalkradio.com, you will see that we are remembering 
not only the 27 children, 27 American citizens gunned down on yesterday, but the more than 1,117 black boys and girls who have been murdered in this country who have died at the hands of guns in our own communities. And we are thinking about terrorism, American terrorism, against children in Libya, Syria, Egypt, and Palestine. And thinking that even in our fire fighters, and I mean firearm fighters mode, we have made deals in Rwanda, Darfur, Nigeria, South Africa, and the Congo to allow American guns to go in. I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. We're going to go to our phones. 626, you're on the air. Thank you for joining us. Good, good evening. Um, yeah, I, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I think that um, I don't think you can really tell the history of America or European expansionism around the globe or whatever without, you know, talking about guns. Guns has been part of, you know, white supremacy from day one. Um <laughs> What's your and point, caller? Think, say again? What is your point? I I, I think that, uh, like, black folks and experience with gun violence in this country, we we cannot allow Rosewood or Black Wall Street or anything like that to happen again. If you look at in the middle of, you know, affluent Connecticut, you had a family that had arsenal for affluent white folks. And well, one of their... Go ahead, make your point. Oh, oh, and one of their their children was, was crazy and got a hold of that arsenal and wielded it upon uh, other people. Um, I think that story is more about crazy white folks than it is more to guns. Because you got so many guns out here already, we shouldn't be thinking about as black folks shouldn't be thinking about disarming when your neighbors is highly armed. And at what point would some crazy gun-toting white person come shooting okay. at us? So, so, so in terms of your point, that explains 27 bodies. How do you explain the 1,170 other bodies that were that that ha, that have ended up dead on the streets of America since uh, January 2011? Explain yeah, that I, with your. Yeah, I'm sure. The, I'm sure the guns have killed millions of people around the, around the world. You know, I don't want to be the next one. I understand what you're saying, and. But the statistics prove, sir, that by individual citizens owning guns, it does not certify or guarantee uh, safety 
in our community. It is true that Newtown, Connecticut, is the location of the second most powerful gun lobby in the country. The New Republic reported on yesterday that um, that people um, in in who live in Newtown support a gun lobby, and people who uh, who do that they do they do so at their peril. I mean, the National Shooting Sports Foundation is just three miles away from the school where 20 first graders and kindergartners were killed yesterday. So I I understand your point about the history of guns, but we are talking about guns. If, If you had a mental health system in this country that took care of crazy white people, as you say, uh, then what we have in place could take care of that element of what's happening in terms of gun violence in this country. But it does not take away the guns from crazy police because their support and mental health system is, uh, or the lack thereof, uh, fails. Their screening system, we have rogue police and psycho police who have guns, we've got to somehow come to a national discourse or a national negotiation about who gets guns and what guns. I mean, if I have to have a a psychiatric or psycho screening to get a job at a bank, why shouldn't I have to have one or a permission statement from 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 somebody to get to get a gun? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm all for that. Cause, uh, okay, but my point keep... here is that we haven't talked about the political implications of gun control and what gun control means. I have no idea. What, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I do know children are dying in this country. Oh, yeah, and, and, and it, was, it wasn't the first kids that died at the hands of a ab- Absolutely. Our children are dying in this country. Do you know how many guns are on the street of Chicago? Do you? I don't know if you heard the beginning of our program where we talked about the gun violence. We ran a clip that talks about the gun violence in Chicago. In in one weekend, twenty six bodies. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. And that's not and, and, and that's not a crazy white boy. No, that's crazy white boy. So there are a lot of too. dimensions. There are just so many dimensions to the public policy solutions to a number of problems. One of them is we got too in addition to having too many guns, we got too many crazy people on the street without any help. But those budgets are being cut. We've dropped too many drones in Pakistan. 
and Syria. We've allowed American gun gun traders or whatever you call them, gun runners, to run guns in Darfur and the, uh, the and the Congo and South Africa. And where there are strict gun laws, guess what? Children are not dying at the at the at the hand of gun. All over this world, Sweden is it, uh, and and the Danish people are not allowing guns to to go uncontrolled. Yeah, I think you, you know, we went we, we went through a thing uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm, I broadcast from Boston, and um, it, it, it's mandatory. If you are caught with an unregistered gun, you go to jail for a year. No questions asked. You just go to jail. Okay? Yeah. You don't have to have committed a crime. It's the gun control law in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But nobody, Homeland Security, the Justice Department, the, the Boston Police Department, nobody is trying to determine where these guns are coming from because that's part of the capitalism poly socio equation of guns in this country. Yeah, guns, guns are a big business. And I think when you look at a, uh, you know, yeah, I mentioned a, you know, Sweden or somewhere, you know, that's that's not a, a area where they're trying to uh, expand or control. Yeah, it's about dominance. That, yeah, it's, it's about dominance. This and culture it's, 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 has come from the idea that we can shoot our way in out of any situation. Shoot. I mean, if you look at if you look at the protests of the '60s. Here come the police with guns in there and with 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 guns and ammunition in the guns at peaceful uh, protesters. Look at the protesters for uh, uh, Obamacare or or, or um, uh, Tra- uh, Trayvon Martin or uh, here come the police. It's a culture of oppression and control and when you mix that up with guns that go unchecked you got a problem everybody knows the police run around with rogue guns yeah i think that uh again i probably every you know said this already but you can't really separate you know america from from being a gun nation it was founded by you know Angry, toting gun, gun people. So that's what the, that that would be an that would be an explanation, which is nothing but uh, an excuse and a political ploy for the NRA. They would say that. Hey, caller, I gotta go. Yes. I I hear Alrighty. your point. Uh, thank you for being with us. I I think you're Steve, right? You're no, Charles. I'm a Covina man from Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I hear your point. But at some point, it's almost like having tangled hair. At some point, you got to get the brush out, you got to get the comb out, and you got to start with the edge of the comb to start working out the tangles. 
and we haven't even begun to do this. I was very angry at the at the president on yesterday. Uh, and I understood that he was emotional and he couldn't finish his comments. But, you see, if I had been the President of the United States on yesterday, I would have sent to an outline and a demand to the Congress by midnight last night that there has to be a special session of the House and the Senate to begin to look seriously at this issue because you're talking about a, a kindergarten school teacher that owns a Glock. Come on. Yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. With a crazy I, son. With a crazy son. I mean, add that uh, to, into the mix. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm playing too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it as if your average, uh, kindergarten teacher or Sunday school teacher is armed to the teeth. I don't know why I would want to be disarmed in a society where crazy white folks can just call out gang and shoot up malls and shoot up, you know, my neighborhood or shoot up their neighborhood. You've got to decide which glass, which side of the glass you're going to drink the poison from. Yeah, I'd rather have you know, it's why everybody has probably got their own their own way of dealing with things. But I think I'd rather have it in my own hands than not. Well, you know, that assumes that all the other elements and dimensions that I that I mentioned earlier aren't present. Yeah. I am required. I am required by my profession, and I'm not a police officer and I'm not a CIA and I don't work for the FBI, but because of what I do, I carry a firearm. I am required during the time that I'm on tap for those people, I have to carry a firearm. I am uncomfortable doing that. I have tried to get out of it. I have done the training. I go every six months to do the training. I go to the practice range, but I am still uncomfortable doing it. It gives you no security because if you are up against uh, someone with an automatic firearm meant for war, and that's what's hanging out on our streets. Yeah. If a, if a cop decides to take me down, what's under my arm is not going to help me. You see what I'm saying? So we got to decide which side of the glass we're going to drink our poison. I yeah, thank I you very it. much for, for being with it. us. Uh, and stay with us because... Um, I think that this is a discussion that has to happen at a higher level than the meeting house at our common ground. We've been talking about it for years. But I think that every citizen should demand of this government to step up on these issues, to stop talking about it, to stop politicizing it, and step up to the biggest lobby. Why should the NRA own our government? Okay, you have a good evening. Okay, thank you very much, and stay with us. 
Yeah, and for, th- for those of you who are listening, you stay with us too. Our number is 347-838-9852. Uh, we're going to take uh, just a few more minutes to see if those of you who would like to uh, make some comments about where we are, because it is indeed winter in America, and you're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm usually, um, um, I mean, when you think about, just think about this. You're hanging up some curtains. And your grandchildren are visiting, and they are helping, and you're talking about whatever. But you're just talking, and, you know, maybe you got a chicken in the oven, whatever. And a shot rings out and kills your seven-year-old grandchild, daughter, grand princess, who happens to be standing at the window helping. That happened. Detroit. Think about a police officer who says that he didn't mean for his weapon to discharge, but he was nervous and anxious because there were five black men on uh, in his direct uh, line of authority, and he didn't know what they were going to do. That happened. Oakland, California. Think about a child on the sidewalk jumping rope. Shots ring out because some crazy teenagers whose lives have been so tattered and injured think that they can find themselves with a gun and kills a 12-year-old child. Boston. Four or five, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Same here, Janice, and, uh, you know, you, you you got my adrenaline flowing. Yeah, I know, and you're a gun owner. You better believe it. And uh, I have all my sentiments go out to uh, the families of the victims of this nut. I know. Don, but, can you imagine, can you imagine Jimmy Green? who is an American saxophone saxophonist and a professor of jazz music, moved to Newtown, Connecticut, year before last, puts his child in September, both of his children, in Newtown, uh, um, the school, packs their lunches, takes them off to school, and one of them will never return. Anna Grace. Oh, uh, 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 I cannot imagine that. You know, I mean, that, it's profound uh, uh, to imagine, to put yourself into that parent's uh, frame of mind. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, unless it happens 
to you. you know? That's right. And, I know and you called Don to make a point. I've only got about five minutes before I have to meet with Makani. Uh, okay. Simba, but, um, yeah, let me let me let me just be brief. You know what we're dealing with is a is is is, is you know this country was founded upon violence, revolution, and it's and it's his the history of gun violence in this country starts from day one. And more importantly, has been specifically directed toward the elimination of people who look like you and me. And if you, if when you get into the uh the and study the 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 totality of, of, of the meaning of white supremacy then you would understand uh, what's what's happening to America. We're becoming a class society. We are rich in those who are not. We are a racist society because white privilege certainly uh, gets uh, 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 a hierarchy in this country if you're not white. In fact, all of the years we've been here on our knees praying, marching, we are we find ourselves in the worst shape that we've ever been in as a people in this country. A social problem. And uh with respect to uh the the uh the ownership of, of a weapon, you know, yes responsible uh, uh, people should have weapons. But just like people are supposed to follow the laws, traffic laws, any other law, um, they're going to break them. They're going to find ways around them. I don't care what, how uh, tight you might put, uh, uh, try to uh, make it. First of all, it's a constitutional right to have, uh, uh, to, to uh, invoke self-defense in this country when your life is being threatened. And I'm going to take advantage of all of those constitutional uh, 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 amendments. And uh, one of them is to own a gun that I agree with. Now, with respect to, um, uh, you know, know, I've been a police officer, right? Uh And And I've carried the gun, but... See, even when I was on patrol, there's no way I could guarantee the safety of everyone that was in my district. No way. Yeah. And I was the law enfor- I was the law enforcement officer, sworn, certified, trained to protect a certain amount number of individuals in my district. Just me. In combination with hundreds of others across the city. Okay? But I couldn't protect every one of them. So we're not going to get a perfect, you want to untangle the hair. When they make the, the get the, the relaxer and the permanent to where everybody is using the same thing, then maybe I'll think about giving mine up. Um, well, you know, Don, everything has to be put in perspective. This was a horrific and evil 
And most of the murders in this country are thus. But the odds of being killed in a school shooting are only one in two million. Let's put it in perspective. You are 190 times more likely to die in your own bathtub. 28 times more likely to be killed by a bolt of lightning. And 150 times more likely to be shot to death by a police officer than to be killed in a school shooting. Right. And 17 more times, let's not forget it, 17 more times likely to be executed by the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Don, how, come we, how, how come we just one, one more thing? All of these murders that's happening up in Chicago and all these major cities of the, of our black youth. Mm-hmm. Why 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 when 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 something happened in the white community, uh, they want to they want to they want to uh, 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 damn they want to they want to have the whole wide world. But but Don, they said that in Columbine. They said that in 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 um why, why Omaha. Can't we, they if, said if, that they, they, they're not serious. If we're going to address the problem, well, let's address, not going to address the problem. The problem. And, and until they until they come with some equity, and with, with respect to race, I will keep mine. Thank you, Janice, uh, for the opportunity. We will, we, we will never ever <laughs> agree on on this, uh, uh, other than the fact that responsible uh, gun owners uh, should have the opportunity to uh, to protect themselves. Because uh, if I call the sheriff, it'll take at least forty fifty minutes for a sheriff to come. Even get near my place, and then it's only one person. Yeah, I, hear I got a lot of I got a whole lot of knuckle draggers that I live around. Okay, I hear. So you. Thank you very much, you. Dennis. And I'm thank you, Don, and thank you for always being with us and your support of our common ground. Absolutely. Bye bye. This is the meeting house weekly meeting, town hall meeting of. Uh, I tell you, this is this is really some tough stuff. In a nation where guns can be bought by people who live in a broken mental health system as though it was simply bubblegum, we are facing another massacre. Understand that. You know, 10,728 gun murders in the United States, but only 21 in Sweden. Only 42 in West in Germany, in West Germany. Why? Because there somehow is a, a mindset, a different mindset, and the hypocrisy about this country, as as, as Don just helped me point out very clearly. We're going to talk about this all week. Because MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, XM Radio, or whoever, all but our common ground, going to make some money talking about what happened to 20 children in Connecticut. But just yesterday, just Thursday, the Michigan legislature passed a bill allowing guns in classrooms. And for everybody who wants to push the propaganda of uh, the gun fanatics, 
Let them have their propaganda, and they got it down to a science. It's pointless to attempt to reason with them. They cannot be reasoned with. Never mind that nations with stricter gun laws have proportionally fewer gun murderers. Murders. And this president needs to step up to the plate because this madness cannot go on. This is our common ground. When we come back, we're going to be talking with my friend, and she is one of the most expert organizers in the country. She's really a real, I mean, Folks, we're about to talk to a genuine community organizer, <laughs> Makani Timber from the Praxis Project, and we're going to be talking about building healthy communities, changing the power schemes here at Our Common Ground. You stay with us. We'll be right back. Just like the city that stagger on the coastline. In a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America Yes, that all of the healers have been killed sent away Yeah, but the people know the people know it's winter Winter in America Who championed this cause of Something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. But I don't know what it is. And then he set her up by backing off. Well, if she will come and talk to her. Right. Yeah, and yeah, she came yeah. and talked to you, not alone, she came and talked with the CIA guy. Sure did. And he basically backed up everything she said, but now they have larger concerns. Now they're crying and whining about the filibuster and the reform of the filibuster. Not only should they reform the filibuster, they should drop the nuclear option on the filibuster. And when you hear people like Mitch McConnell saying that if they do this, this will poison the well forever. Well, I'll take your threat and I'll raise you to shove it in your behind. Right, Robin, and Reason. Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. The Alpha Show. Only at TruthWorks Network. Friday, 10 p.m. around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. Their next meal could come from you. 
our common ground. I'm Janice Graham. Tonight, we honor those who march in the long line and progression of black history, black progress, black resistance. tonight at our common ground. If you'd like to join in the discussion in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Our guest tonight is Makani Temba. She is the executive director of the Praxis Project, which is a nonprofit organization helping communities use media and policy advocacy to advance health justice. She was previously the director of the Transnational Racial Justice Initiative, an international project to build capacity among advocates to more effectively address structural racism and leverage tools and best practices from around the world. The Praxis Project is a movement support intermediary, and we'll find out more what that means and an institution of color that supports organizing and change work at local, regional, and national levels. And she is no stranger to our common ground. Makani Thimba, thank you so much for joining us tonight. What a tough night for you to uh, join us. Well, thank you so much. I've, I've been listening intently to the conversation um, prior, and of course, our hearts just go out to the families. Is every time you hear about any loss of life, you know, um, children, adults, but uh, there's something especially about children, of course, wherever they are. And and I think one of the things that um, you're always struck, and I was thinking about this when one of the callers talked about the difference in the treatment is how um, how different this country will be when all our children matter. That's just mm-hmm, so important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, and and one of the things that you do at the Praxis at the Praxis uh, Project is to work with communities to change the the power relationship uh, in communities so that every voice has an authentic and equal voice about the issues in their community. And one of the reasons I just uh, love to watch your work and to look at what you're doing is because we do need training in community organizing and, and, and looking at how we strategically work around all of these issues. I am just always so um, amazed at how our communities have not effectively figured out how to make strategic changes and leverage their positioning, leverage their participation, uh, to affect community-based policy and governance, and I talk about that all the time. Tell us about uh, the basis of the work that you do regarding this change model that you use across the country and what kinds of programs you're you're doing that in. 
Well, it's interesting because I think it's funny. I just got back, um, or I'm actually on the road. I'm in New Orleans tonight and just left Greenville, Mississippi, where we were spending time with young people and their adult allies who are working to try to make changes in the school systems throughout the black belt. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of just very random, very targeted uh, discipline policies that are really pushing our black kids out of school. Um, and, and it's a shame, but it's also very inspiring to see kids fight back and work with their parents to say that um, we're, we're not accepting this kind of behavior anymore. And that our history and our legacy is actually full of smart, strategic organizing that has brought us to this place. In fact, so much of what we enjoy today is because of the smart organizing of our ancestors, right, and and the strategies and the things that 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 were handed down. So I want to, of course, acknowledge the great work that came before us and that we're stepping into a legacy and a history where hopefully um, – you know, bearers of the torch in this in this generation to try to move the work forward, and and so in that way, um, we a lot of what organizing is and is to remind people of who they are and what they really know and how much they know about the problem and how much they know about the solutions, and to not believe the hype that that there isn't anything that they can do. And and that really is a big chunk of it, and we're very fortunate to be able to interact with folks, to work with them, to um, help them discover or rediscover the history out of which they come, to be inspired by local heroes, by national heroes, famous people, not-so-famous people, and to just walk through the the questions, the, the knowledge, the history, and say, okay, so... What do you know about what's going on in your school? How do you understand it? Or what do you think would make it better? And I am always inspired, amazed, and blessed by how brilliant our folks are and what they come up with. And mm-hmm. so I feel like my job really is to ask good questions and and to um, support people in believing that their ideas can work and carry good stories about what people have done other places and then get into the nuts and bolts of how. But most people already know what they want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they know where they're hurting. Um, exactly. And they they I I am constantly beating the drum here about everything is local that no matter how much there are issues that resonate across communities of color and especially in black communities across this country that they have to be tackled at a local level which has always been kind of um unnerving for me because I always did community radio where we could take on specific issues and problems and programs and and deal with it at at the local level. Tell us about, the last time you were with us, you were doing extensive work in New Orleans. Tell us about what the Praxis Project and the work you you were doing in New Orleans has how effective it has been. Well, um, 
I, I want to, of course, say that as an intermediary, which is an organization that works with other organizations, we're really in a support role. So our role is we try to help raise money. Um, we try to support folks with, um, you know, some training and other kinds of things. But the real work happens here on the ground with the folks who live here and and, and do the thing every day. So, you know, groups like Safe Streets and a voice of the ex offender and um and there's just a whole lot of organizations here. Um the the, the Greater New Orleans Organizers Roundtable, which is uh, a a network of more than seventy organizations throughout the city and the Greater New Orleans area and actually and some folks actually across the the water in Mississippi who are involved as well and that you know there are so many folks who are here who are committed to um, rebuilding the the region in a fair way post Katrina and also you know for, there's been a number of other uh, disasters that hit the area there's also of course New Orleans is is um, sadly um, well known for its police department that has um, been involved in a number of murders you talked earlier about um folks being um killed by police fire by state violence and that is a serious problem here which groups like vote voice of the ex offenders safe streets and others are fighting and then of course the issue of schools and and the what kind of schools will happen post Katrina which has been a big fight here is many of the public schools that serve Serve black children and low-income children have not been rebuilt properly. So there's a number of issues, and so for us, our our work has been to support those groups to help raise funds, to um, be here to um, provide training when needed, or really sometimes not even training because a lot of times folks already have answers, but they just need the space to talk to each other, to sponsor meetings, to have. Um, convening so that people can travel and and come together and be a part of that work. So I don't want to in any way take credit for the work on the ground because our job is to really support that work and to really lift up what's happened. And, and Voice of the Ex-Offender, which I'm so proud of, vote they in, in a coalition have passed a very important state legislation that's going to allow thousands of ex-offenders to be able to um, to work, to to get barber's licenses and a number of jobs that were previously restricted because, you know, these are folks who served their time, but then they were telling them that they couldn't do certain jobs that really had no security impact or other kinds of things. And it was just ironic that you could be in prison and and work for a bank calling people and having bank information um, to follow up on credit card debt or things like that, but once you came out of prison, you couldn't work in a bank. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> that kind of ridiculousness, right? That is so, and, that is so American. <laughs> isn't it though? Isn't it though? And uh-huh. that folks here in Louisiana actually um, passed um, one of the most comprehensive laws in the country that actually allow ex-offenders to gain access to all kinds of jobs that they couldn't do previously. So so I want to totally give credit to folks on the ground because they're the ones doing the work. And like I said, we're here in a supporting role just to try to 
support them, listen, and figure out how we can help bring national attention and resources to the work here on the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, McConnie, you know that this is Alternative Activist Empowerment yes. Talk Radio. So one of the things that um, I would like uh, our audience to, to to be privy to is some of the ways in which you and the Praxis uh, Project go into communities uh, and begin to help local people who are interested in making change. Now, people will call me every week and say, well, you know, you can't change these people's minds. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I think that the Praxis Project has created uh, strategical um, uh, processes in which you can break some of the chains of the you can't crowd. Let's talk about when a community wants to make demands. They want to collaborate uh, and propose some demands in their local community. Um, How do they begin to develop? I mean, most people will say, well, you can't get ten black people in a room to agree upon anything. But you've developed a... I mean, you and I both have been to meetings where that's probably true. Not these ten people, but I can go find ten more people who might. Uh, right, right. But no, it's true. It's true sometimes. But that's part of the, that's part of the art, though. That's mm-hmm. part of the art is to find our common ground, right? That's uh, yes. That's part. That's part of the art, and and what we found in our work that. Um, one of the things we encourage groups to do is before they even get into conversation about the the even the problem is to start by talking about the vision. And what I have found in the 30 years of doing this work is that most of us dream the same dreams. You know, we, there's things we want. We want safety. We want place communities that that are green, that are prosperous, that have the services we need. I mean, we mostly have all the same dreams. Mm-hmm. Now, where it breaks down is many of us don't believe that those other people can have it or should have it or can handle it, you know. And so there's there's a question of being able to see the humanity in other people and, and their deservingness of those things. But But at the core of our beings, there are there's sort of shared, a shared vision of what good looks like. And mm-hmm. what I've found is if we start there and then say, well, then what would it look like if we work toward that together? That actually changes the policy work, too, because if we get focused on the problem and people get to arguing about, well, it's really this problem or it's really that problem, well, we, you don't know because you don't know what I'm living it's really this problem, and what we want to say is all of that is true, and all of these are parts of the picture. But then what does the solution look like? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and what you find is that's where the common ground is. And then and then what we do is then think about, okay, well, let's research how we get to that solution. Is there somebody else who's done it? And if mm-hmm. there isn't, then what does it look like? Who makes those decisions? How do we map it? Because what we always say at the Practice Project is, that the most important question is how. You know, why isn't even all that important? 
what's wrong isn't even all that important. But if you can get a pathway to how, that changes the dynamic altogether. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you said something that is so important, and what you said is it's an art. And we yes. have, if, if we are serious about the issues of education for our children or the issues of violence in our neighborhoods or the issue, whether it's the issue of um, uh, of how many times the trash is picked up a week in our neighborhoods. If we are really think that some of these issues are important, if we say we want to do for our children and build a healthy community for them, then we really have to become masters of the art of working with each other on shared targets, um, identifying potentially, as you say at the Praxis Project in your demand process, winnable targets. Yes. Because and, and understanding when we say winnable, too, I want to be clear that we don't want to limit people's imagination. But, you know, not but, and we want to say, well, if we can get this, how does that lead us to the next thing? How does this lead us to the next thing? So we don't get so caught up in the far away that we're not dealing with what's right in front of us that can help us get there. Yeah. You know, and 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 the thing is that everybody in in our community, and as you as you say, we got some really smart people in our community. I am just, I mean, I I sit around and I listen to to my adult daughter and her friends, and as they just shoot out one solution after another about various issues going on in in our community, I'm just amazed by that. But one of the the things that I think for our people is that uh, we have to convince them that you are the leader that you have been looking for. And you know where I got yes. that from, right? Uh, yes, yes. After after traveling for a year and a half with with Ron Daniels and 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 our 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 dear friend Ron Walters, uh, <laughs> indeed, I can say indeed. that pretty much in my sleep. But we have to convince people that they are the leaders that they have been looking for. Yes, I think, and I think that um, oftentimes, and I think this is especially true for women, a little bit less for men, <laughs> um, at least in my experience traveling the country, that um, we are often socialized to believe that stepping out there is being conceited, it's not being humble. And there's a difference between stepping out and and taking on leadership to do the work that needs to be done and showboating, right? And some, mm-hmm. sometimes we get, we think the two go together and we get a little worried and say, oh, we don't really want to step out there or, or maybe not me, I'm not good enough because we also are worried about a failure. You know, we're worried about um, coming up short and, and it's, it is it is a risk, and for those people who are willing to step out there, you know, just so much love for them because they are taking big risks. I was so inspired yesterday and today. I spent, like I said, with some time with with young people, um, mostly in the Delta in Mississippi, and they were so clear that they were leaders. 
you know, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 12-year-old young men and young women, and a lot of young women actually in the room who were like, I am a leader. This is who I am. (laughs) You know, very clear in their voice, um, no mumbling, just projecting, just back straight, just these young people were very, very clear about who they were in the world and what they were here to do. I wish I was that clear at 14. I cannot even pretend, you know, like I was yeah, that girl. Yeah. And, it's, and it is inspiring to see people do that and to see adults support them um, in taking on that leadership. And I have to say that it's not always the case when when folks do step out, and especially kids of color, oftentimes they are told to you know, oh, you don't want to talk back, you you don't want to draw attention to yourself, you know, you're trying to get too much. And to see these young people um, supported by adults to speak truth to power, to talk to their teachers about what they need, to talk to their principals about what they need, to talk to their superintendents about what they need, that I think that is the kind of inspiration that's just contagious. And the more of our folks who come in contact with other people who stand up. In fact, we think about organizing every single one of us who's an organizer, and I say this all the time, everybody in the movement got in the movement by personal invitation. You know, there there was no, you know, the, the, somebody said to you, come on, come to this meeting. Here's here's something you should know. and And that's how it works, that other leaders attract other leaders. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as we think about it, um, a big part of it is how do we get more people involved and then get them to ask more people because it is such a personal process. It is so much about how you relate to the person who's making the request or, or letting you know about it. It's so much about mentoring. And what's great is there are so many people who are still in the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what, what well, I what, – what, one of the things that that um, I wanted to ask you about are the impediments. Because, see, I've got a lot of future leaders who listen to this program, people who are tired of bellyaching about what the problems are and are willing to step up and take ownership of making something happen in their communities. But one of the things that I hear a lot is this whole notion of the conflict between intergenerational groups and their perspective about problems and inter and in, interracial groups and communities and their perspectives about the problem. You know, we saw it in in this in this past election where black people were saying, oh, the Latinos want to take credit for reelecting the president so they can get what they want. Um, Oh, you know, in Boston we've got a problem where the Dominicans are not saying they're black. I mean, give me a break. I don't care if the Dominicans don't say that they're black. What they need to care about is that the powers to be think they're black. (laughs) <laughs> and thus, right. well, uh, they face the well, same. How about that? Yeah. So, how do you 
how do you inform communities about those kinds of of conflicts? Well, I think a big part of it is to help people one go back and find the historical roots of those things. Oftentimes, folks walk into a conflict and they they think that this is about today, and they don't don't necessarily have the historical background to have the compassion for well. Why are folks concerned about this? There was an incident in Washington, D.C., where there was a whole struggle around um, whether or not um, the Shaw neighborhood should be renamed Little Ethiopia. And for folks who had moved there from Ethiopia and Eritrea in the 80s and 90s and who had put a lot of energy into the community and and found a community that was at that point actually crumbling and deteriorating and invested and built there, felt like, well, they had roots there. Uh, They wanted to see themselves reflected. And for African Americans who, of course, had been in that community much longer and for whom Shaw and all of the history of what that meant in the District of Columbia, you know, they were just completely offended you know, there was a part where at first people were talking past each other because they they didn't really understand each other's trajectory in terms of why they were in that place. But the more folks got to get into the history, talk more about what was going on, talk more about why folks were invested, then it turned out that, that many of the folks in the, the who were pushing for Little Ethiopia were like, well, you know what, that's okay. Folks know this is an Ethiopian community. We don't have to change the historic name. We understand mm-hmm. what it means to people to, um, if it were to be erased, if that history were to be erased. And so I think when folks get a chance to, again, find common grounds, understand the history, understand the walk, um, which takes time. You cannot do that in the heat of a city council meeting or in a 30-second soundbite. You know, that kind of conversation takes preparation. It takes people being willing to um, be invested in studying together and learning about each other. Um, and, it, and it takes a kind of facilitation that that when people start to to get tense and struggle to say, wait a minute, let's let's all breathe, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. let's uh-huh. let's figure out where the love is in this moment. And and that I think is part of the art. Of, of how we keep moving past these moments, um, there's a some of even the black-brown tensions that happen all over the country um, as folks struggle over what is citizenship. And one organization in Denver, Padres Unidos, whom I love, they embarked on a on a journey um, with African immigrants, African Americans other folks in the Denver community to have a conversation about what does citizenship really mean, right? And they had part of that conversation led by African Americans who talked about what it meant to be in this country for centuries, to labor, to invest, and still not really be treated like citizens, to talk about the racism. And it changed the whole conversation around how people perceive different groups and who was ahead and who wasn't making it and what was going on. 
And it was just such a smart way of bringing people together to, again, to find the common ground, to find the history, to get to explore that together. And it was a process that took, it was like over a year of conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and that brings to mind the the um, question and the issue of uh, people tend in communities not to move on an issue until they're so angry that the urgency of the anger uh, causes them to to begin to meet and organize around an issue. I know that in your experience that you have had to really guide community activists to learn a little bit of patience. Learning, you know, sometimes as consultants will say, sometimes you have to go fast to go slow and sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. So well, there's this, that's true. There's a saying in Cuba where they say we take our time because we're in a hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, how important is that for people to have in mind as they begin to make decisions about what am I going to do? Well, I think part of it is having the plan that that allows people to sort of do the power analysis. We are a big believer in a power, the power analysis work. There's a tool that was invented by Anthony Thigpen, uh, a black man out of Los Angeles organization, SCOPE Los Angeles, um, S-C-O-P-E-L-A, um, and their website is scope-la.org, and definitely an important website for organizers all over the country. And what's great about this tool is you get to really look at who are your allies, how much power do, do they have, who are some of the people who really should care about the issue, maybe don't care yet because you got to work them, and who's opposed, and you get to really plot it out. And then and then through that kind of planning and analysis, you get to see that this, there's a little bit of a trajectory here. You're going to have to work this out. There's people that, that you're going to have to be in relationship with and build with so they can get on your side. There are folks you're going to have to deal with and 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 actually make sure they have less power at the end of this process. You have all kinds of research to do in terms of what the rules are and how people are connected in the history, and and good organizing requires good research. And I don't mean research in a Ph.D. kind of way, but just asking good questions and finding out the information that you need to to know what is really going on. And you can be born in a place, born and raised, and still don't know what's really going on with regard to power because that's a uh, how power works oftentimes is hidden from view, so you've got to uncover what's really going on. And I think once people get into that process, what I've found is they get excited, um, they get engaged. Here in New Orleans, Safe Streets has been working on the privatization of parks. Now, I know that sounds crazy that um, people would take parks where kids play and then privatize them and create systems where it would be harder for them to access those parks. It sounds crazy, but it's exactly what happened here. And um, so Safe Streets, an organization that works on um, police violence and 
and other kinds of issues related to crime and safety um, have they've been working and they they research they looked at the history of segregation in the park system in New Orleans and why some parks went under one system and other parks went under other systems and the more they uncovered the clearer their policy path became and the more they understood why the city was making certain kinds of moves and who was in charge of what, all of it made a lot more sense once they sort of peeled back the curtain, looked at the power dynamics. And folks got really excited, and they also got to understand that it wasn't really about them, that it was there were bigger things going on than what was right in front of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, give us that website uh, address again and the name of the organization in Los Angeles. Yes, it's called. They're called Scope, um, Strategic Concepts for Organizing um, Policy. Yes, Policy and Education. Yes, and that. But the main thing is their website is Scope, like the mouthwash. S C O P E hyphen L A. dot org O R G. Okay, you know the the thing is that. Uh, one of the urgent w- reasons that I wanted to have you come and talk with us tonight is because 2013, I have made a decision that our common ground will be de- will be looking at only uh, four issues: mm. hunger, uh, hunger in our community, homelessness, mental health, and violence. That's going to be our focus. And if, in fact, we are going to learn more and explore more about those issues, our expectation is that people are going to take this valuable information, uh, resources that we present to them, and begin to really do something in their community. It's not enough to simply talk about this stuff week after week. Um, And so for you people out in Los Angeles, out on the West Coast, there is that organization. Also, you can contact Makani Temba at thepraxisproject.org for the resources that this value, I mean, organizing and community activism is a, undertaking. It is not just something you go to somebody else's meeting and they're talking about something that you're not quite sure and it's all fragmentized. But I think that informed people really have to approach their community in a very strategic way or any issue and have targets, not just have anger or have speeches. Um, and, and and we do go to a lot of meetings, and you come out of the meetings, and you've had a lot of people talk and have no idea what happened. So you are, in my mind, the expert in the country. And, you know, the last community organizer that we had of some repute became president of the United States. <laughs> oh, big <laughs> well. You don't have to worry about that happening. <laughs> I think we can safely say I will break that pattern. <laughs> Let's talk about how you engage in a community. 
or how organizations position themselves in a community to change the power scheme in the in the discourse. And discourse is not just talking, it's about how relationships get built and how the agenda gets built. How should people expect that if they're going to take on ownership on issues in our community, that that can happen? Well, I, one of the things that we believe in is listening. Because it's the most salient issue, the most relevant issues are the ones that people are experiencing in their top of mind. And and what I have found in the work, I I am always surprised by what I hear at the doors. When you knock on doors, when you talk to people in front of the supermarket, you think you have an idea of what the issues are, and, and sometimes you're right, but there's always something that comes up that you go, oh, that? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't think may, of that one. Say that again. I'm sorry. You you kind of, your response kind of, didn't think of that one. Yeah, in fact, that's exactly it. And I know one time I was knocking on doors in one community and was actually surprised to find that many of the um, older women, grandmothers who were in the community, had lost their daughters to HIV AIDS. And, you know, the census doesn't, is, is, is years behind, so those kinds of things you don't always have up-to-date data on. You think you know, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I heard story after story about folks being concerned about needles, being concerned about, um, you know, access to services. And I went into that community because it was a fairly stable community, working-class black community, had no idea that AIDS had ravaged that community in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's what happens when you when you actually listen. You knock on doors, you, and then it shifts what you do. And that's where you start. You have to start with listening and making sure that in your listening, you're hearing what people are not only complaining about, but what they're dreaming about, what they're asking about. And and, and, and it's it's good to not only say, well, what's wrong, but also say, well, if you could fix it, what would you do? Mm-hmm. You know, And would you be willing to um, come together with some other folks like you? and figure out what we do about this. Mm-hmm. You know, again, as, the invitation. <laughs> as you talk, uh, I'm sure that there are people in the listening audience, and for those of you who would like to join us in this discussion and talk with America's top uh, community organizer, Makani Temba, our number is 347-838-9852 here at Our Common Ground. But as you talk, Makani, one of the things that occurs to me, and it occurs to me quite often, is that we have national organizations in the black community who don't seem to be doing the very basics that you are talking about. I think that people feel that organizations that are supposed to be representing our voice and our interests have not heard, nor have they made the kind of 
uh, engagement with the people that they say they represent, how can we change that? Well, you know, issues of accountability are huge, right? And and part of the challenge is how do you build in accountability as part of the rules, part of the policy of your institution? And that's a big part of the work people ask us about. They say, you know, we'd like to have our organization run more by our members. We want to know about models where where folks get to vote for leadership or um, how do you um, set it up so um, more people can participate in the organization so it's not just a few people running everything. We hear that a lot because folks are sensitive to the fact that the more folks are engaged, the more they'll do, the, the more work gets done. But it's hard for many of us to imagine how to make use of even the folks who say they want to be involved, right? How to how to just call them back, right, after they said that they're interested. And that requires some systems, and it requires some thinking about how you work with other folks. That, that in many times you don't know that you're getting to know for the first time. It takes work, it takes energy, it takes policy, it takes structures. And so it's, it's not, a, you know... A, it's surprising that a lot of organizations say, you know what, that's too much. <laughs> you know, we, just, we don't really want to take the time to listen and engage folks because we're just so overwhelmed by the work. Mm-hmm. And and that's too bad because they miss opportunities to, one, get more work done once they get in the group because it takes work to get to that point. And they also just miss the richness of what happens when you have lots of brains involved in a project. And so, you know, that's that's part of it. So I think part of it is we have to continue to to help our institutions learn how. Again, how is the big question. You know, they already know why. Um mm-hmm. and, and and they already know what. They mm-hmm. just can't figure out how to do it. And if you can help people learn how to do it, take baby steps. Like, okay, the first thing you're gonna do is Set aside two hours once a week just to call the people back who said they want to help. Let's start there, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then maybe the next step is at your meeting next time, you're going to pick new people to give reports. You're going to have people who come who said they wanted to volunteer be uh, mentored by people who are already in the organization so they'll share work with folks who will be like a little shadow. So those are like baby steps people can take to get more people involved and say, okay, once a year you're going to do a survey. Whether you do it online, it's better if you're in a local community, it's better to go out and meet people and talk to them because you'll find people who you you didn't know, right? Um, And you're going to just make sure that that's what you do. You're going to have four days set aside that you're going to talk to at least 50 people you haven't talked to before and find out what they think. Mm-hmm. And and that's how it starts. Well, you know, most of the people in, in this audience are people who really are focused on and are interested in developing um, policies that address racial justice. And one of the things that we advocate here is that we have to have a real good concept, a sturdy concept of what that is. But my experience 
has been over the last five or six years that we have, you know, because we had a, uh, we have, we're in the era of Obama, that many key players in our local communities are rebuffing the idea about addressing issues having to do with race because they say that we're in a post-racial uh, era, which is is, is so flawed. This, the whole statement, the whole idea of that is flawed, given the evidence before us. But how do people begin to break down uh, and build, well, let's say build up communication circles which are affirming of their concern about racial justice and what they know. Well, you know, um, we have a a publication out called um, Fair Game, um, Racial Justice Communications in the Obama Era, which is on our website, which information about it is on our website at praxisproject.org. And um, I, I want to just say this, because that's a kind of a complicated question, but that one of the things that we do when we are focused on trying to talk about racism and racial justice is oftentimes we start the conversation with people who are opposed to us and try to convince them. And part of what we say is maybe not start with them. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of folks out there who are walking through experiences that are racist and feeling like they're crazy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> feeling like there isn't anyone reflecting back to them that, one, you're not crazy, and, two, it is racism. And so one part of the work we have to do is tell the stories about how racism works, how white privilege works, how people are experiencing it so that we can elevate those stories so that other people can see them and understand that they're not alone, that there is a problem out there, and it's not personal, it's structural, it's systemic. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of it is that we have to help people understand that something can be done about it because what's been embedded in our sort of societal conversation about racism is that it's somehow biological and there's nothing that we can do. It's just what happens. And part of what we're saying is, one, that's not true. There are other countries that have really interesting laws that we can learn from. There are things that are happening here in the United States that people are doing differently to address these issues and that we can actually solve this problem. We can create opportunity for folks. We can shift how resources are allocated. We can we can work with police to to act better, to do better, to serve everybody. That these things can happen and have happened, and that we do not have to simply accept this like the weather, like oh it's racism, it's going to cloud over, it's going to rain racism, and then you get out your umbrella and then you hope it passes by. It is not a a natural phenomenon. It is human-made, policy-made, structural, and we can change it. And that there have been times in our history where we've actually pulled it back some 
and there have been huge challenges in this country that we have addressed. And 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 there's been times that slip back. You think about child labor a hundred years ago. You you know there's all kinds of challenges that we have come together and dealt with. And we can lick racism. I think of racism as cancer. There should be no pro cancer, <laughs> no organization. No. People should not be wondering about whether or not they should be against racism. Racism is no good. It should be like cancer. We're out running to fight breast cancer, out running to fight heart disease. We should be out trying to eradicate racism. It is even more dangerous to our health and to more people's health than breast cancer, AIDS, and even violence combined. It is a deadly disease in our in our society that we have got to grapple with, and I think we have to keep talking about it. We have to, but in ways that help people see that there's progress, that there's work that can be done, that help people understand how so they don't get overwhelmed and scared and worried. And and there have there are good resources that are even helping people in their faith communities, in their schools in other places learn how to talk about racism and learn how to get other people to talk about racism. And I'm loving YouTube. People put all kinds of stuff on YouTube, some of it funny, you know, some of it sad and touching, that uh, that are actually folks talking about their experiences um, as people of color, you know, and other kinds of ways our identities are formed in this country that are helping other people understand and learn more about how to not be racist. Mm-hmm. I'm actually very hopeful. Well, I'm 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 pleased to know that someone who understands and knows so much and is so engaged in our communities across the country really is hopeful. That is hope in of itself. We're certainly going to have to have you come back uh as we move on our agenda over the next um over the next uh couple of um months to help us because I'm really interested in getting people in our audience engaged um in community organizing uh community activism because until we do have people who are informed in a way that uh, leads toward uh, healthier communities and changing um, this and and shifting uh, the authority of power in our community, we're we're still going to be talking about all of these problems. Uh, and and thank you so very much. I know that you are just arriving and um, in New Orleans, and you wanna uh, <laughs> catch your breath, which you don't get an opportunity to do uh, very much. Well, I've enjoyed it, and I always enjoy getting the chance to talk to, to you, my sister, and appreciate so much of what you do and how you lead. It's really an inspiration. Thank you. Well. Thank you so much, and uh, we're just proud of our association with you and the Praxis Project and and wish you well and safety and our um, regards go out to your mom. Thank and you. We, Thank you so we, much. We had hoped that we would see had seen you in November, but we weren't, but we will do it sometime this spring. And you certainly will be. 
uh, one of our regulars as we try to move people into taking ownership uh, to these problems. Thank you so much, Makana. Makani Themba of the Praxis Project, and I have enjoyed so much this conversation. You be well, my sister. Thank you. You too, my sister. Thank you. Uh, You see, we've got resources in our community beyond compare, just beyond compare. Um, our our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you have a brief com comment, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to close up and tell you about what's happening uh, toward the end of the year. This is our common ground, and I'm Janice Graham. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two is our number. When oppression is profound, the in order to live, in order to locate, in order to feel oneself, unfortunately the reality is the oppressed make certain concessions, certain mental, psychic, and spiritual concession. In this moment in history, in this very hour, uh, we are still very much uh, in a part of and on that river. We still feel its rhythms, its tide, and we're certainly captive to its current. I think in a sense it is very uh, much time uh, to call for the fire. I think um, it is very much time uh, for African Americans to begin to seriously rearticulate our ongoing struggle and about social justice. Only on TruthWorks Network. Your Wednesdays just got better. Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Wednesdays, 10 p.m., where spirit matters.
a little Lee Morgan here at our common ground as we close out um, December 15th. We want to thank Makani Thimba for being with us. I mean, they do some magnificent work. And one of the things I want to remind you is that we all can be doing some magnificent work somewhere around the things that um, that are of concern to us. want to give you some programming notes. Don't forget that on Monday there very well may be, even though Miss India declare suggested that she was going to be gone until her New Year's Eve celebration, the Pajama Fabulous annual event at I Declare. But because of the events of um, yesterday morning, it seems as though she is going to be doing her broadcast, uh, extending the special that she did, and we thank her so very much for doing that for us this morning at 11 a.m., a special on uh, the mass shootings of children in Newtown, Connecticut, and the madness that we face. Um, Morgan Freeman put out a statement saying that media sensationalism is the problem, not massacres of people, of little kids, but rather than sensational nature of the news media, and he cites uh, Fox News, and he says because all intelligent, rational, sane people, when a major crisis-oriented news story is breaking, turn to Fox News for balanced, accurate, non-sensational reporting. That'll be the day, I suppose. We thank you all for uh, being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Uh, we hope that we can... Uh, transform power to truth one broadcast at a time here by getting people engaged in their own communities. I am sure that there is some form of violence, whether it be domestic violence or firearm violence or emotional violence uh, in our community whether or not the system is broken and not working for our children and our elderly citizens, whether or not there are things that should be happening that are not happening. We are hoping that we can inspire you to take on some of those issues. We had hoped that we would be taking off, that this would be our last broadcast of the year. But because there is an urgency in our community to do better, to be better, to bind on those things that make us strong, I have decided that we will have a broadcast. Our annual Kwanzaa teach-in will happen. Uh, We had not gotten a lot of um, uh, response um, on last year and decided 
that we would um, not do it this year, but I don't think that we will be able to go without doing it. I think our community here at this place, at this meeting house, notice I've stopped calling the studios and started calling the meeting house. Uh, so we will be here next week for our Kwanzaa teach-in, our annual Kwanzaa teach-in. It would be the first time in more than 26 years that I would not have done um, the Kwanzaa teach-in on this broadcast. So we will be doing that next Saturday. Don't forget on Wednesday night, it's Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson at 10 p.m. on TruthWorks Network. And next Friday evening, Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk with uh, Alpha of the Alpha Show. We hope that you will join us. And we're encouraging you to have an informed discussion with the children and the people in your family uh, about what these issues mean in their lives. It's very important. Thank you for being with us. Um, Have a faithful week. And I'll be listening for you. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.
a young turk. You may 